you're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Hello and welcome everyone to The Way Home Podcast. This is your host, Dan Darling, and I'm so glad that you've joined me today. We have a great show lined up for you with some of my favorite guests, two guests that you've heard before, but this is the first time I think they've been on together. And so I'm very thrilled that they're going to be here with us. A couple of things to think about before we get to our conversation. One, my book, Agents of Grace, is available from Zondervan. This is maybe my most personal book. I talk a little bit about my own faith journey growing up in the church, talk about how to forgive, how to heal from church hurt. I talk a lot about Christian unity and love. What does it look like for us to love our brothers and sisters like Jesus commands us to do, especially in a very divisive age? And I have a section on what many call theological triage, which is how do we decide what doctrines and issues are worth going to the mat for and which ones we have strong convictions about, but be open-handed. So I hope you get this book, Agents of Grace, How to Love uh, Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loves. We have links to this in the show notes. You can get it anywhere books are sold. Also, would love for you to sign up for my writing cohort. If you ever have been interested in writing and getting published, wherever you are on the journey, maybe you have a book idea, maybe you just want to sort of get yourself out there writing for different publications. We talk about the craft of writing, we talk about the business of writing, talk about the discipline of writing. Uh, We had a great time last semester. Uh, We had several folks in our cohort. Some of them are, have sort of advanced and are getting published in different places and are working on book projects and and all those things. So I love to help coach you. I've been writing for 20 years. It's one of the few things I can do well. And so I would love to have you. So we'll have a link to that uh, in our show notes and on my website. But I'm grateful for my friend, uh, Chad Poe, who has kind of set all this up for me to be able to do this. Okay, I want to get to our guests today, two guests actually, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Uh, Jen Wilkin is a really well-known Bible teacher. I'm sure you've, you you know her. She's written and produced quite a few really great Bible study resources. She speaks all over the country. She is the executive director of Family and Next Gen Ministries and Resources at the Village Church here in Dallas, Fort Worth area, and uh, just an incredible teacher. JT English uh, is the lead pastor at Storyline Church in the Denver area, also an author and just a really really great pastor scholar. Well, they've worked together on this wonderful book that I encourage you to get. It's called You Are a Theologian. It's kind of a walk through some of the key core doctrines of the Christian faith, uh, things that you really need to know if you really want to follow God well and understand what it is to be a Christian. These are things the church has believed for all of church history that uh, we must hold fast to that are beautiful and true about who God is and who we are and what our purpose is uh, in following him. It's a, it's a great book. We're going to talk about theology, talk about theology in the life of the church, all those things. And so without me talking further, I'd love to get to our conversation with my good friends, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Glad to have on the Way Home podcast, JT English and Jen Wilkin. Thanks 
both of you for joining me from separate locations. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. So I think you both have been on before. It's great to have you on again. And I'm excited about to talk to you about your new book, Everyone is a Theologian. That's the title, right? Everyone is a Theologian. Close. You, or no, you are. You are. You are. Yeah. Man, that's bad. No, no. You are <laughs> a theologian. You wrote it for you. You Dan, you are a theologian. Yeah. You are a you, theologian. Dan, okay. darling. I'm actually going to keep that in there. <laughs> Good. You are a theologian. <laughs> An invitation to know and love God well. So I love the idea of this book. You know, one of my things I've, I've been thinking a lot lately is, you know, how do we bring, how do we bridge sort of the academy and the church? How do we bring, bring up the theological literacy of the church, but also teach in a way that you know meets people where they are? So I, I love the emphasis here, and obviously it's born out of the work you've both done together for many years. But just talk about that a little bit. What is what is the purpose, and and uh, what is the need that you feel like you're filling in terms of theological education in the church? I, any one of you can answer that. I think the first thing I would say is Jen and I are not under any illusion that the, the, the idea or the thesis of you being a theologian or everybody being a theologian is new. This is something that the mm-hmm. church has been saying for 2000 years, and it's something contained in mm-hmm. scripture itself. And so we don't think we're saying something new. We are saying something that churches and generations that we try to point out at the beginning of the book forget. Uh, we forget that one of the primary roles of church leaders and then Christians themselves is to think rightly about God and do that in a way that reflects him. Specifically to your question, Dan, is is he, I think over the last maybe 30 or 40 years, I don't want to get too much into the sociology of American evangelicalism, there has been an expert amateur divide that has been developed between mm-hmm. people in local church contexts and then perhaps the academy or other institutions of higher education specifically. And again, you're, we're talking to a seminary in your role. Mm-hmm. I work at one and we're so yeah. thankful for institutions of higher education uh, that maintain a commitment to the authority of scripture and the gospel. So this is not a conversation of, uh, do we need one or the other? The truth is, is we need both. But I think over the course mm-hmm. of the last 30, 40 years, we've realized, and we need translators who go back and forth between, hey, Absolutely. here's what's going on in the life of the church, and here's what's going on in the academy. And that's what we think this book is doing. That's what theological education in local churches is trying to do is to help the people who who no longer even consider themselves amateurs. They think they're not playing the game. They would say things like theology is mm-hmm. not for me. That's for pastors. That's for academics, professors, theologians, missiologists, missionaries. I just want to live a practical life. I want to live a life that loves God. But as Jen, and Jen, I'd love for you to hear your take too, has so helpfully pointed out and does so in this book too. You can't love a God you don't know. You can't follow a Lord that you are un, uh, unacquainted with. And so we really feel like this message for the life of the local church is to remind them you were made to think rightly about God and to love him well. And one of the ways that we can do that is through theology. I, I so agree with that, Jen. I want to uh, kick it to you, but I agree with you, JT, that we need to sort of bridge that gap. I always felt like for me, that's kind of what I've always tried to do. You know, you read the theologians, but I'm trying to talk to the everyday, average people in the church and sort of bring bring that literacy up. Jen, I want to talk to you about that. I mean, when folks think about, when average people think about theology, they think, you know, they just think it's too big for me. It's a professional thing. You know, I can't do that. I've got to read, you know, seven systematic theologies and all that. And I just, you know, like busy people. So how do you dispel some of that, I guess, discomfort and maybe fear of, of kind of diving into the theological ideas? 
Well, I think I have the advantage of autobiography on that because um, I am the person who didn't have access to formal theological training. And then at the point that I did have access, at least technically, I either didn't have the money or the time to be able to actually dive in and and take advantage of it. And uh, yet I had a calling on my life to, to be teaching the scriptures. And, you know, as we talk about in the book, there is, there is obviously a particular calling on some people to teach. But the Great Commission is is calling all of us to at least be able to to teach others to observe what Jesus has commanded. And so I think we all, to varying degrees, perceive that that is something that is incumbent on us. And if you're if you have any sense of your own human limitedness, you realize pretty quickly that anyone who opens their mouth to try to speak of the things of God is going to find themselves at a loss. And so we're caught in this space between being compelled to speak and also also being terrified to do so, knowing we can never do justice to the topic. And um, in the local church, I, I knew I needed to step into where there were spaces that, that needed um, me to teach, but I also was very keenly aware of my own under, under-equipped status. Like, and I don't, I, I don't think you need a PhD to teach in the local church, although I've had the, the, the great privilege of being taught by a PhD in my local church. That would be JT and others. Um, so I think it's nice if you have that, but um, in many of our churches, it will be people who are willing to dig in and, and do the work on their own. And you shouldn't have to do that without any sense of where to begin. And you shouldn't have to do that thinking that you have to begin with a 300-page systematic theology text. And so when we write this book, what we're thinking is, what is the book that we wish someone had handed to mm-hmm. us when we first discovered this need? What, what's the stepping off point? And, and so that's, that's how the book came about. Yeah, I love the way that you've divided up the book, like this, this book actually is a lay level theology, you know, systematic theology, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, you know, talking mm-hmm. about who is God, what is God like, you know, so doctrine of the Trinity, attributes of God, doctrine of scripture, humanity, all the, the sort of major doctrines. And so, you know, handing someone this book is a lot less intimidating. They can get started on it and uh, mm-hmm. really understand this. And one of the things I've always tried to tell people when I pastor to that, you know, we don't want to you know, study theology just because we want to win some, you know, Bible trivia contest or we want to be smart people or whatever, but because theology actually shapes the way we live, right? And it shapes the way we think about God. Yeah, that's exactly right. And even going back to the, the comment that Jen just made, when I became a Christian in college, like I was zealous. Like I, I developed a zeal for the Lord. I was like, I was the guy that was on your college campus, you know, sharing the gospel two, two minutes after I became a Christian, but I didn't know anything. And so I went to one of my friends and said, I, I, I don't know my Bible very well. I don't understand. And he handed me a popular introduction to systematic theology. That was enormous. It's like more than 500 pages. And I wasn't, I mean, it was intimidating to me. Despite my zeal, I realized, mm-hmm. oh, maybe I'm not supposed to do this. And so, as Jen just said, this is the book that I wish I would have been handed. Like, that's why we wrote this. Is I would say there's three main reasons we wrote this. The first is we want everybody to realize they are a theologian. Second, we want every Christian specifically, hopefully all people, but every Christian to know basics of theology. And we can talk about the content mm-hmm. of that in a minute. And third, we want those that content of knowledge of God to result in a worship of God. If, if people walk away from this book realizing I'm a theologian, I now know the basics of the faith, and I love God in deeper ways, then Jen and I are just going to be over the moon satisfied and thrilled that the book helped people do that. Yeah, and I think, I think too, we overestimate the literacy of the people in the pews that maybe we assume that they know some of these basic things about 
uh, Christianity. I mean, even even the sort of basic key doctrines of Christian orthodoxy that that every Christian should know and believe. And so, I find in churches maybe there's a lack of emphasis on how do I teach people the basics. Like assuming they don't know, they walk in. What am I supposed to believe? What what am I supposed to know about God? So this really offers them a way to sort of you know get get involved with that like a, a pastor or small group leader people could use this as a as a real great tool is that is that sort of your idea as well it's sort of lift the the literacy of the people in our pews oh absolutely and you know JT and I are both local church practitioners this is not theoretical for us we mm. actually think that this will work because we've seen it work in the churches where we have served and we've seen the hunger for it. And I do think you're right, Dan. I do think there is, I think the assumption can go one of two ways. It's either, well, they already know this or it's, well, they don't really need to know this. Mm. And I would say both of those errors ends us up in a place where we have a generation of believers who is not being handed the good deposit from the generation before. And, uh, and it doesn't take much to bring someone alive on this. You know, there's a whole joke out there about um, being a cage stage Calvinist. <laughs> That's a secondary doctrine, you know, that people can get super revved up about when they first discover it. We've seen the same kind of why wasn't I ever told this moment hit um, around first order doctrines in our own churches. And that's another thing that we are hoping will happen. Um, what we do find is that people do tend to actually have a lot of hot sports opinions about secondary or even third level issues. Not only that, they are well versed in how to argue for an ideology, but they don't know how that ideology may or may not be grounded in the primary doctrines of their theology. And so, whereas someone can tell you exactly why they voted for who they voted for or how they feel about a, a particular medical situation. They could not tell you what it means that God is triune. They could not tell you about Jesus being fully God and fully man. And so those are significant misses on our part. It means that we are um, probably arguing about the wrong things. And that in the in the days and years ahead of us in, in an increasingly post-Christian culture, it will be more important than ever for us to be reminded of the things that have actually united Christians for, for centuries. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I mean, that's a, for me, that really matters, you know, that sort of, however you call it, theological triage or understanding what are the first mm -hmm. order doctrines, second, third order. I just think a lot of folks don't understand. So we're we're spending a lot of time you know, arguing over tertiary things, and we don't have actually energy to see and behold and fight for the, the sort of first order doctrines that Christians have believed throughout the ages. I want to I want to ask you, you know, it's it's a challenging now to teach to have teaching times in church. I mean, we, you know, when I grew up a generation ago, you had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, you know, Sunday school. You made it like four, three or four like teaching moments where people would come to. Now you may have you know have Sunday morning, you may have some other venues. So that's one thing that a lot of pastors and church leaders wrestle with. Like I really want to disciple and equip people and teach them, but like how do we actually do this? You know, like what does it even look like given the limited time and attention we have with our people? Yeah, I mean, Jen and I have th talked a lot about this privately. Like, okay, how are we going to help? Because we've been at churches that have struggled with this. And I think something that I would say, just that we're talking basic philosophy of ministry, 
man, I think one of the one of the emphasis of most evangelical churches right now, as we say this in 2023, is community. And whether we're talking about that as home groups or small groups or missional mm-hmm. communities, whatever, we're we're emphasizing community, and rightly so. I mean, we're we're living through a loneliness epidemic and people wondering if they belong and perhaps living lives of secrecy and privacy. So we are we are for home groups insofar as they're accomplishing the task and mission that they should, which is community. And one of the things that Jen and I, and along with our colleague Kyle and others and so many that that would put Mason King on this list, people who are passionate about doing education in the life of the church, we've realized that a home group, a small group, a community group is not primarily a learning environment. It's a community environment. So part of part of our message is we really would like to retrieve other spaces in the life of the local church that are explicitly about learning and not just learning, but active learning. As a preacher, I preach about 40 to 45 times a year at my church here in Colorado. And I love it, but I, it, I, I mean, this is an encouragement to pastors. It's going to sound discouraging, but brothers hang in there with me. Uh, sermons don't accomplish all that I need to accomplish as a pastor. I give 10, 15, 20 hours of my week to it. We're going to three services in the fall. So like I have a high view of the word, a high view of preaching. I'm committed to it. And it's why I'm increasing in gray hair. So don't criticize <laughs> me for it. I'm in. But but I I'd also want to say that it's important to have other environments. So whether it's at the village, we develop things like core classes or Dan, you mentioned Wednesday night Bible studies. I teach an institute here at Storyline. The village has one. Our friend Kyle has one at his church called The Forge. And what those spaces can do are, are still community-centered, but they can really begin to engage people's imaginations with biblical categories and theological truth. And so I'm going to highlight this quick. I could talk about this for much longer, but I'm not going to. We, we really invite people to like read something beforehand, whether it's doing a Jen Wilkins study book or, or, or re, you could do this. If you want to do this with you or a theologian, read the chapter before you come to small group, like engage with it, put question marks in, in the, the side of the book or underline something that makes sense to you. And then come to the group with some kind of, with, with discussion questions. There's actually discussion questions at the end of each chapter and discuss those questions. And then maybe have some kind of teaching or facilitation uh, walking through the content. And then the thing that Jen and I are passionate about is we also don't want this to get stuck in the life of the local church. We want it to make its way out. True theologians, talk theology. They don't just reserve it for themselves. They take it to their next mom's group or the kid's baseball team. And and so this this really is a, a, a space. The, the two projects I would say that Jen and I have been passionate about for the last seven years or so that God's allowed us to do ministry is, is this question, Dan, convincing people that they are theologians and convincing churches that they need to have environments where they can help people facilitate the task of doing theology. Yeah. And it seems like it's different than, I, I think we need small groups and we need that sort of community time. It seems we also have to find spaces for the sort of formal teaching time, you know, whatever that mm-hmm. looks like. And I, and I know some of the arguments are like, well, we live in a dif- distracted age. People don't want that anymore. I think some of that's right. But then on the other hand, you know, you go online and people will watch hours of Jordan Peterson lectures or they'll watch. They'll take these courses. You do all these online courses and they'll watch. They'll drink of, kale smoothies. People want to do hard stuff. We just have that's to tell right. Them. They'll, 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 they'll watch hours of these online courses and stuff. So I'm. Yeah. I think sometimes you know to to paraphrase George W. Bush, we have the soft bigotry of low expectations. We think, well, people mm. don't want this, so we're just not going to do it, and we're just going to keep it here. And maybe they're actually crying out and hungry for really substance and depth. 
They absolutely are. The way I say it is discipline is not dead. It just follows the most compelling message. Mm. And as church leaders, Mm -hmm. it's our job to compel people. So you look at the people who are showing up on Sunday morning. The most common piece of feedback that JT and I will hear when we first introduce these ideas is, well, that may work at your church, but my people are really busy and they'll only give you know, one time a week outside of church to, to come and invest in their spiritual growth. And we find that that's absolutely not true. Not only that, but if you pay attention to the people who are in your church, they're doing Whole30, they're running marathons, they do CrossFit, they are able to be incredibly disciplined around ideas that motivate them. And yet in the church, what we're doing is we're constantly apologizing for what we're asking them to do, and we're constantly lowering the bar. Mm. No one... You communicate a value. It's a value statement about what you're doing if you keep saying, I'm going to make this as easy as possible for you. Now, you're talking to us about a book that is an introduction to systematic theology. So in many ways, it is saying that, but it is not saying that in a way that diminishes the impact of the content. What we're doing is we're making something accessible, and that's different than saying, I'm going to make this so oversimplified that you will not value what you're learning. This is an accessible introduction. And I think that's kind of where the disconnect has been. There are ways to make really important ideas and um, learning spaces accessible to people. And that's different than making them so simplified that they are no longer a value. Right. And, and it's kind of an invitation, right, into studying and thinking about theology the rest of your life. So this book is a, is a start. I think of it also as a good one-on-one discipleship thing. So if someone, let's say someone comes to faith in Christ, this could be a good first book. Like, here's what Christians believe. Here's like the, the you know, eight or 10 core beliefs that, that Christians have believed for 2000 years. So I, I think that's, that's really important. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, there's this sort of, you know, I think in, in evangelicalism, the sort of, you know, tension between, you know, we don't need theology because, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to do life together, or we're just going to love on people. And uh, we don't need, I I don't like the word love on, first of all, I think it's, (laughs) I don't know who does. I think it's, everyone please stop. I think it's creepy and weird, but anyways, it is. but you know, we're just going to love people. We don't need theology, you know, uh, so speak to the need for every Christian, you know, not just the pastor as a, as his thing, or you know, the guy in church mm-hmm. who has the marked up Bible and all the charts, and that's his hobby. But like everybody needs to be a, a student. Yeah, I think uh, to say that you don't need a theology is a theology, and it's a departure from biblical theology. So there's no such thing as an avoidance of theology. Nobody doesn't get to have one. Everybody has one. And so one of the things that we try to highlight in the book related to some of these reasons why people might be reluctant to engage in doing theology together and in the life of the church, we tell them, hopefully convincingly, you are a theologian already. Like this is a non-negotiable to say, I don't have one or I don't need one. That itself is one. And so the question isn't, are you a theologian? You are. The question is, are you a good one? Are you a Christian one? Have you patterned your affections, your heart, your mind, your words, and your actions around the revelation of who God is in scripture and in Christ? Or are you, are you patterning the way that you live according to something else? We'll be right back with our guests, but right now I'd like you to listen to a sample chapter of my book, Agents of Grace. I'm writing to say that God is still at work in the world. 
and to say that Christian love and spiritual unity are still worth pursuing. While I've been hurt by Christians, I've also been immensely blessed by Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been there for me in my pain. Single mothers who made meals when my wife endured a serious illness. Small group leaders who gave me money when I was suddenly unemployed and scared. A pastor who called and preached the word of God to me when I was in despair. I've been blessed by wise matriarchs with arthritic knees who called on spiritual fire from heaven on my behalf when I was weak. I've been healed by friends who left everything and came to my side when I needed hope. Thank you for listening to the sample chapter of Agents of Grace. As a reminder, you can get this book anywhere books are sold. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com for more information. But for now, let's rejoin our conversation on the Way Home Podcast. I think what I would love for people to, to hear, and I would imagine the audience that we're speaking to here, Dan, is largely sympathetic to this, mm-hmm. is, is and hopefully nodding their head up and down and saying, yeah, 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 we agree, is it might not be true of your neighbor, might not be true of the person on your kid's travel sports team, might not be true of, so this is not an evangelism tool, right? But it, it could be a tool to really begin engaging in meaningful conversations with people that you know and love. It could, it could even be a spouse for some of the listeners or a neighbor, a coworker, a colleague. We tried to organize the book around major questions. You, you mentioned, Dan, it basically is an introduction to systematic theology, which is a scary word for people. So we didn't really use that word, but we organized it around questions uh, because that's the way systematic theology is organized. Who is God? Everybody has questions about that. What is he like? Well, who am I? And, and, and how was I created? Am I created? Was I created? What implications does that have for my life? What's gone wrong in the world? Like we all would recognize brokenness in the world. Is, is have I gone wrong in the world? Is it just that the world is wrong, or uh, and is God making things right? And is He doing it in Christ? Is He doing it by Spirit? What is a local church? And ultimately, we end the book. This is this is my least favorite chapter to write, but now it's my favorite chapter to read. That Jen and I wrote the last chapter on eschatology, or, or last, I was like so hesitant to get there, but I feel like the book ends with such a hopeful ending of mm-hmm. the joy of our King coming back to make all things right to to set everything right and so this is a this is a book that i think would help people begin to put their i also say this last thing i'll say about about this i don't want people to end with reading this book this is like the gateway drug we shouldn't call yes. it that but it is like it is start with this and then jump into something of, of more depth maybe a specific theological topic that you enjoy but for somebody who's been a little hesitant maybe a little reluctant to jump into the task we think this would be a great book for you to start having a conversation about those important topics. Yeah. And, you know, I think about people that, you know, I think we're in a bit of a bubble. I've, I've, I've been a pastor. I've worked at parachurch, denomination, all that. We're sort of in a bubble where we read a lot and we're interacting with these arguments. We're, we're, uh, but, but a lot of the church, a lot of most of the body of Christ is, is, you know, working nine to five, doesn't have a ton of time to read. Maybe uh, I think of, a lot of blue collar folks who maybe not, not uh, they don't have to read for their job like we do. And so this is such a great sort of entrance into that to say, Hey, you too can be invited to this conversation. You know, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have, you know, all these, um, you know, abbreviations after your name to, to be part of what we're doing here. I, I just read a, been reading this book that says that, you know, the most unchurched, the people who have stopped coming to church are people who, don't have a bachelor's degree. They only have a high school degree. Uh, a lot of blue collar folks, but it's interesting. They they actually would come back to church if they're invited. I just think there's a lot of folks that would benefit from this who can be invited to these conversations that, you know, speaking in, in everyday language helps them. So hopefully it seems like that's your goal. 
Oh, absolutely. And it, I mean, you know, everything that we do, we try to communicate at an eighth grade reading level. And that's not because we think people are dumb. It's because that is widely accepted to be the literacy rate that most people achieve. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's what a newspaper is written at, for example. And, and so if you, you think about that eighth grade reading level, we've tried to write a book that can be used not just for adults whose literacy rates may not be as high as someone with a PhD, but it's also appropriate for high schoolers for middle schoolers who um, have a good group leader who can take them through the material. We hope Mm. that these ideas are accessible at that level. And uh, honestly, at the time that I started delving into theology, I was 30 years old. I had had three children in two years and four months and was pregnant with my fourth and started reading theology at bedtime and during nap time. And so I do believe that, and and I had the 300-page systematic theology <laughs> text, or longer than that. But you know what? I was determined. I was trying to teach people, and I didn't want to get caught short. But I think that the average learner, again, we all make time for the things that we care about. And so what I'm hoping that this book will do is help people to discover that they care about this. And then you do. You begin to reallocate time from, from lesser things toward the things that are drawing you in. And I can't think of a more important path for people to get onto and feel energy around than the one that is pointing them toward the historic truths of their faith. I think a lot of the deconstruction or church leaving that we're seeing is is people who are leaving a faith that they were never really handed in, in mm. the first place. And mm. so I, I can understand if people, I can, I can make my peace more or less with people leaving a faith that they have outright rejected. It is harder for me to make my peace with people leaving a faith that they were never properly taught. That's such a great point, but deconstruction. I haven't even thought about that, but that's true. Like maybe they only had bits and pieces, or maybe they didn't really know the full the full Christian story, which is beautiful and and redemptive and hopeful and all of that. This is a this is a really important resource. I'm so glad that uh, you guys are working on it. It's, it's called "You Are a Theologian: An Invitation to Know and Love God Well" by J.T. English and Jen Wilkin. I just want to commend it for small group leaders. You should you should take this and do this in your small group or mom's groups or parents or pastors could even use this as sort of maybe a basis for a sermon series. What a great, what a great tool. Thank you guys for, for doing this. I, I think I'm going to have my, uh, my son who's 14 read it because he's starting to ask me like, dad, what should I be reading and all this? I'm like, I'm going to have him read this. So, but I, pr- I appreciate really the work you guys have put into to really equip the church this way. Thanks, Dan. It's always good to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit DanielDarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at, at @dandarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to the Way Home Podcast. <music>